G'day, James here, and welcome to the Oz F1 show. In this episode, we chat with F1 pro photographer Kim Illman, fellow Aussie, all round good guy, and amazing stories to tell. This is only a glimpse of the amazing things that he has to say. You'll find all of Kim's social links and YouTube links in the description below. And can I really encourage you to jump across there and check him out if you don't already. Kim only started though in 2017 doing Formula One photography and considering the quality of a lot of his gear and a lot of his content, you would have thought that he'd been doing this for decades and decades and decades. But only two and a half years prior to this, he jumped out of full-time professional life starting an amazing business called Messages on Hold to safaris in Africa shooting wonderful content there. I really hope you enjoy our chat about all things F1 here on the Oz F1 Show. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here, Kim. Thank you so much for your time. And you join us from, at least from what I can see of your blogs, uh, from Bologna, which is a stunning part of the world, it seems. Now, I've been here before and it's really uh, had an impact on me. It's such a beautiful city and I have this apartment which looks out over the rooftops of Bologna and all I see are these terracotta tiles. Then I go for a wander down to get food once a day and for a walk occasionally. And uh, I just love it. And there's no one around because everything's pretty much closed. Yeah, it's a hard time really being in Italy, especially right now. And it would have been very different for you. And of course, watching along with your vlogs, leaving Perth a couple of weeks ago to Bahrain. And I think you spent something like 25 days in Bahrain before mm-hmm. going to where you are now. The Even the distinct difference on either side of the country here in Australia is sort of chalk and cheese with Perth really having it under control for a very long time. How was it for you to go from not wearing a mask and not having to really think about COVID at all to, all right, diving into the deep end now, we're going back to doing what I love in Formula One and having to cop, you know, being probed in every direction possible? Yeah, it was was tricky because I only had to wear a mask for two days in the whole year. We had 47 days of lockdown where I did that in a beach house I've got and it really wasn't any inconvenience whatsoever. It was just business as usual. Uh, but, yeah, very different um, kettle of fish here and so probably more so here than Bahrain because we had uh, a week of no restaurants being open the first week but then the other 18 days restaurants were open. I could eat in the hotel and that was fine. Um, but, yeah, here is just like a ghost town. In fact, on Easter Monday, it was almost like uh, following a nuclear war. That's what I thought. I saw maybe 40, 50 people when I went for a walk on Easter wow. Monday. But, um, wow. yeah, I'm happy to be back on the circuit, and certainly F1 gives us an opportunity to travel, and we got the vaccine in uh, Bahrain, and then um, – we have entry into different countries without quarantine, providing we follow this strict regimen, which I'm happy to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about Formula One and you actually getting into Formula One to begin with, because it was obviously uh, you've joined a little bit later on in life, which is fantastic. And it goes to show that it doesn't matter what stage you're at, you can pivot to certain different things. You've come from a very successful business background. What happened to go right, I'm going to do photography of all things in Formula One? Well, I'd done a wildlife book and I'd spent 26 weeks over two and a half years in Africa photographing for that. And I thought, right, well, I've got the book out. I've achieved that goal. 
and I went to uh, Abu Dhabi in 2016 and I went as a guest of Red Bull and paid the money and went to the Paddock Club. And one of the fascinating parts of that was you get to stand in the garage with the headphones on. You listen to Daniel wow. talk to the engineer before he goes out and it's this really calm, quiet thing and then he fires up the engine. And that was the point I thought, yeah, I quite, really quite like this. And I've always liked F1. I've never really loved it, but I've always liked it. And uh, I decided then I would do whatever I had to do to get photography access. And I wrote the uh, media accreditation people. Obviously, a persuasive case, uh, put, a, put a persuasive case forward, and uh, they allowed me to do testing. And then yep. uh, they said, right, well, you've done testing, so, yeah, we'll give you Melbourne, first race. And I applied for the second race and every race thereafter, and I did the whole season in 2017, never missed a single race. But, of course, that was when I could fly back to Australia. I can't fly yes. back to Australia between races now. It's, as you know, very tricky. Hence, I am think I'm, well, in my mind, I've accepted the fact that I'm going to have to stay away the whole year. Yeah, it's going to be hard for your wife and sons back home as well trying to figure that out. And, and you said this in your vlog as well that, you just really didn't know whether or not you'd see them in the summer break for Formula One. And that must have been hard to sort of make that decision because being all last year at home in Perth and in mm. the beach house, as you said, up north, it would have been a completely different atmosphere. And, and trying to be a Formula One photographer, of course, remotely doesn't really work out all that well. But what were you doing remotely for F1 teams? Remotely, nothing. I was just yeah, posting that's, stuff that's for my own benefit. So, uh, uh, but I was, as you said, I was home the whole year and I got bored terribly. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, normally I'd be away half the year. So if I take two years and I do no trips one year and one big trip the next year, effectively, on average, I've been away half a year for two years. And my wife was very supportive. She said, you know, you have to go back. You have to, you've built this thing to this point. Because I went from 82,000, no, what did I go? 82,000 to 138,000 followers in a year that I never even went away to one race. Well, I did one and a half days actually in Melbourne. And already I've gone from 138,000 to close enough to 150,000 in 25 days. So I see that there's a real yearning for the stuff that I do because no one, no one can do it because they've all got such tight schedules, the other photographers, that they have to be here for that. They have to be over here for this. And they don't get the flexibility that uh, I'm able to get. And so I know that there's a niche and I've already proved that the YouTube stuff is just going gangbusters. So, um, yeah, it, it's a different business model to almost everybody else, but it's it's something that no one has, I don't think, ever bothered to do. Mm. And I think that's that's a really great point. And especially with your background in a lot of those guerrilla marketing tactics that you had with messages on hold and, and a few other things in your, your mindset, I think is just very different. For, for my mind, you very rarely <laughs> see professional photographers like you being very willing and able to be on camera. Uh, I believe you're also a radio host for some years too. So you know how to present and mm -hmm. talk and that obviously helps, but Let's just go back a little bit further then. So you've decided in Abu Dhabi, that's the thing. You've gone to Barcelona and, and written the letter. I believe you were going to Barcelona anyway, and did that help the FIA yeah. accreditation team sort of go, I, all right, well, this bloke's coming anyway? Who knows what FIA looked for at any particular point in time. Uh, I was lucky, I think, at that time that Liberty had taken over and perhaps things had changed a little bit. And uh, the message that you know, I got from FIA when I got there was, just do something different. That's that's what they I think they wanted. That's yep. what I wanted to do. And I was happy to go and try some different stuff. 
Look, I'm not the best and, photographer in the paddock by a mile, but I am I am a photographer in the paddock, and just being that is pretty rare. Because I'll give you an example. This weekend at Imola, I believe there's mm-hmm. only something like 25 photographers uh, working the track, and then there's wow. the other 10 or 11 that are in the pits, in, in the garages and pit lane, because they are embedded with a team. So if you discount them, because they're actually come out of the team components for passes, there are only 25 photographers, and most of those are from established houses and um, agencies and probably a couple of locals. So, and I think I know the answer to this already, but what do you think is the reason that you were really thrusted into the spotlight so quickly with very minimal experience in uh, sports photography? Of course, you spoke about your Africa book and, and some of the photos that I've seen that you've posted are incredible of that. And so I really, if you're watching this and listening, please, and all of these links will be in the description below to, to check out all of Kim's stuff, but phenomenal. You've gone from there, you, you've decided that Formula One's the thing. What was the point that you decided that fans actually wanted a little bit more than just, you know, as you said, maybe 25 photographers on one corner shooting the same shot of the same car and, you know, you're mm. thinking a little bit outside the box, as I said, with your previous business skills. You sort of started going towards drivers a little bit and people started to engage with you a little bit more. Oh, I don't think there's any great science involved. I, I ate races from the end of my second year, what was that, 2018, uh, and I'd resisted Instagram up until then. I decided, oh, I better start something. Because I had 1,800 followers from something that my office had done for me from Africa on Safari. And sure. it was at that point I thought, right, well, let's put pictures up. And if I'm going to put them up, I'll put them up quick. Because as you know, people want things instantly these days. And so I started mm-hmm. posting pictures. And it was very, very evident early on. Put a picture up of a driver, I don't know, had 100 likes. And picture of a car had 50 so all the time I'm seeing this spread and it wasn't always double. Sometimes it was crazy more than that. And so I figured, why should I waste my time with car picks? You can get better car <laughs> picks out there. So I started just focusing on people, but not just the, not just the picture. Um, people wanted to know, you know what shoes Charles was wearing or uh, what yeah. backpack uh, Antonio was carrying. And then that just tended to evolve and even now, I'm reticent to put up car pictures. On a race day uh, or on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'll always put up 10 pics from FP1, 10 from FP2, that's in a single post, and then probably 10 from three and 10 from quality and 10 from the race. But they're really uh, almost concessions to the punters that like car pics because everything else I put up is about people. Yeah, and I love that about all of the things that you do. Just It's such a different angle and, of course, because you're there and, and your photography is so great, as you say, you might not be the best photographer in the paddock, but at the end of the day, the fastest photo, it sort of engages with fans on this side of the phone to feel like you're actually there. And especially now as we can't travel to these races, having that personal connection to real time outside of you know the Sky broadcast or whatever is, is really, really great. When you came into the paddock for the first time, did you find that it was a really welcoming culture from other photographers or did you, were you really just on your own and you've had to find your own track spots and do everything that way? I was When I first started, I got some help from a couple of people who had been around from the sport for a while, which was great. Pardon me. And, uh, and like people like um, Tomo from Getty Images. Tomo's the number one guy there. He, he's the king of F1, been doing it for 25 years. And he was so good to me. Uh, Mark Sutton employed me for the first year with Sutton's 
Um, but I wasn't going to do the second year, so I didn't even bother replying. And it uh, turns out I did almost all of the second year, as it turned out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, there were a number of people that helped me, but they all have such hectic work schedules that uh, I, I would never want to be a burden to anyone. And, hey, where do I go now? And, and oftentimes I would be a couple of minutes before the session starts and I'm still clueless where the hell I'm going to go and shoot. Um, <laughs> so it was always uh, a little bit tricky as to where I would he- end up. But a couple of times, Tom, I would say to me, come on, we'll go out here and we'll do this shot. And I'll just tag along with him and I go, oh, okay, that's how you do that. Uh, and, yeah. and I'm more than happy to tell anyone who doesn't know as much as me, if there is anyone out there, those sort of secrets too, because you know, realistically, I don't care what, I'll openly put up how I took that shot at turn four uh, in Bahrain, which you might have seen, which was a really beautiful picture. And I was quite proud of that. And yeah. uh, I don't mind telling people exactly where I sat and exactly which slat I shot through. Whereas a lot of people say, oh, I'm not telling you that. That's super secret. It's a car picture. It's not yeah. worth really a penny of anything. Uh, who pays any money for it? I'll give an example. A beautiful friend of mine, um, a photographer, said, oh, yeah, I sold 155 pictures to a magazine recently and I got five euros a picture. And realistically, if it's a car picture that 10 blokes are shooting, that's what it's worth, if it's even worth that. Now, the other yeah. Different thing is I took a picture of Mick Schumacher and Justine Hoisman, and I only fluked getting this picture. They were walking across the paddock. Well, I didn't think much of it. I didn't know who she was. I thought she would work for Haas, quite frankly. And then I just put it up and said, with a girl going to lunch. And uh, straight away, all these WAG sites, oh, that's so-and-so, she's this, she's that. So instantly I had my answer, and that's often how I get answers too. I just put it up and let people tell me because <laughs> they know a lot more about it. They're a lot more fanatical than I am. Well, anyway, the next day I'm just getting um, request upon request from different publications to buy that picture. So that's yeah, that's a picture of two people. Anyone could have taken it. I took it. No one else yeah. had it. No one else had even realised that the, these two were a couple. So if, if indeed they are a couple, I don't know. But well, uh, yeah, and that's, that's the beauty of Instagram around the world. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. As you've come along in the last couple of years, have you found that your network has has grown more inside the paddock? And if so, can you talk to us about, you know, is it drivers or is it trainers or is it both and others that you're starting to establish a great relationship with? It is everybody. Uh, a number of TV journos will look kindly upon me and, and always post for photos, but often they'll say, oh, do you know about that? I'm going to thanks very much. And, and I'll share information with them. Other photographers will share information with me and vice versa. Uh, trainers are great because uh, I have some good relationships with them. Managers, a lot of managers that I get on really well with, and that's great because often I'll need something yeah. for a story I'm doing, like I'm doing something today. When I finish this, I'm doing a video on backpacks that drivers wear, and there's a yeah. couple that are absolutely impossible to find, and you can't see a logo. So I just get onto the trainer and I say, Hey, can you help me? What is that? Go, oh, that's the so-and-so model 329. I go, thank you very much. And <laughs> Love that. that sort of uh, insight is very hard to buy. You have to earn it. And when you get it, it's fantastic that you can just go to those people. And I'll turn it on the flip side. They'll often say, oh, did you get a picture of me with so-and-so? Or, or do you know da-da-da? And I'll gladly tell them that because that's what it is. You have to – it's a bit like in prison, I think. You've got to trade stuff with people. <laughs> You can't just be constantly giving and you can't constantly take. And a lot of things, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, end of 2018, I was at Turn 1, Abu Dhabi, and first day of testing, end of the day, and Charles comes up and he sits on the fence and I see him and I go and take this beautiful picture, really soft background, he looks at me and smiles. 
And uh, later in the afternoon, he gets sends me a note and says, oh, any chance? Because he saw the picture I posted and he said, could you send me a picture? And I said, yes. And I didn't want payment for it. Instead, I wanted the exposure because I needed an exposure and crowd gets you other benefits. And a lot of people don't yeah. think of that. They think, oh, we just need the money. You have to sell it for money. Sometimes money is not the most important thing. I put it up and I went from 7,000 to 9,000 followers overnight. Now, I couldn't buy those 2,000 followers on Instagram for the money that he would have paid me for that shot. So I'm more than happy. You know, I don't never give anything away. If I ever do something sure. with someone, it's always on a, I'll get something in return for it. And I expect the same from them. I don't expect them to give me information if I don't return the favour. A lot of drivers I know will repost your content on Instagram and certainly uh, that's obviously become more frequent and teams and, and you're becoming credited. With a lot of stuff, it's it's great and your name is is just fantastic to see from an Australian point of view. I mean, of course, you're the only full-time accredited F1 Australian photographer. How was, how was coming through being the Aussie and I'm sure being watching the Grand Prix in Adelaide and, and then across to Melbourne – how was the the vibe last year in Melbourne when for the day and a half that you did the F1 work from an Australian point of view? Because, of course, there's lots of commentary from F1 around the world, but I don't think I've actually heard an F1 Australian talk about what the vibe was like on the ground. It was a, an honour and a thrill to be in that paddock. Uh, Friday was good, and then looking back, I remember standing in that throng of photographers taking shots of the drivers for the portraits and I thought I wouldn't be doing that now and yet it was probably a danger then but more so it was the Friday night I did a live stream normally I get two three hundred I got nine hundred to a thousand and everybody was just so interested in what's going on because they weren't getting much overseas and they couldn't they couldn't ring a friend say you're in the paddock what's happening so I was that next best thing and then on the Friday morning, I got there early and I just had a field day in terms of stories. People are feeding me information here and there. And I went out to the front gate in Melbourne and I took some pictures mm. of the crowd waiting. And I heard later from some people that uh, a lot of them were following me and they were spreading the word very quickly amongst the audience. So they were getting their information quicker than what the media was giving them. And just from someone who was inside the paddock who wasn't frightened to share what was going on. And, of course, you don't have that burden, do you, of, of a media conglomerate that, you know, lots of stakeholders to talk to and everything else. As soon as you're fed info, you're just able to put it up as you see fit. And that is the real beauty of it because if you're a newsroom and you're a journo in there, you have to send it back there and they have to write it and they have to find a picture and put it up. Whereas I've already got a lot of times I had posts ready to go and I just had because there's a lot of standing around. So I, I voice a post into my phone and transcribes it to text. I've got the picture ready to go and I'm just waiting for someone and, and obviously with us we get an email instantly from F1 when things are cancelled. So I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting and everyone gets that email at exactly the same time and I just 30 seconds later my post is up so I beat uh, a number of people with a punch and obviously people were following me so they didn't, they weren't looking elsewhere, they were just waiting for what I posted but yeah, looking back on it, that was a really amazing day to be involved in that sport and then it all came to a crash after uh, the announcement in the, the paddock when they had the big press conference. Then everyone just walked away and thought, well, what do we do? That's it. It's all over. Um, it just left a really big hole for the, the Saturday, what was it, Friday. So Friday afternoon, Saturday and Sunday, we had nothing on. We'd all made arrangements. I really feel yeah. sorry for the guys that have flown all the way from the other side of the world 
because their flights aren't due to go back until the Monday. And oh, I guess they had a holiday. I know Lewis went surfing and um, some other guys went and did some fun stuff. But I actually got the great story from Roman Grosjean. He told me that uh, he had been WhatsApping Seb and uh, it was from Seb that he learned out at 3 o'clock in the morning or something that, uh, yeah, it was off. And I was wow. delighted then that Ted Kravitz picked up on that interview and actually gave me a plug and mentioned that interview and the story that Roman told in one of his TED notepads. Um, and, of course, that just goes crazy, brings me a whole lot of new following and uh, it just adds to the fold. Love that. And uh, I'm a massive fan of Ted. The notebook that he does is is one of my favourite parts of the weekend. Sort of like you, although obviously more constrained, but just straight to the punch and what you see is what you get, at least what it seems like on camera with him. He's a big supporter so, of mine. I'm all, always grateful for what he does. And I'll give you an example. Last year sure. I needed some info about a woman and I said, do you know this woman? Oh, yes, yeah, she's so-and-so. She does this. She's been in this for 25 years and done it at art. I said, thank you very much. Is that is that good enough for your women of the paddock post? I said, that's exactly it, Ted. Oh, well, you're welcome. <laughs> so he wrote the whole post for me. Oh, that's fantastic. How very kind no, of him. He's a gentleman. And in terms of your interaction with other media on, on the grid then in, in the paddock, uh, obviously Mark Webber does some stuff for Channel 4. Do you spend a lot of time trying to do the Aussie thing or does it not really matter that much when you're over there and you, you sort of spend time with whoever you can? No, I've, I've never even spoken to Mark, I don't think. Um, really? I s- talk a little bit to Kim Keedle. Uh, yep. Kim is uh, Roman's trainer. Who are the Aussies? Michael Italiano. I see him occasionally. Obviously, uh, Daniel's trainer, also from Perth. Who else? Yep. Oh, I don't think there are too many other Australians in there at the moment. No. There was Stuart Smith who was training or did actually train Daniel and then went to Kivya. I know Oscar has picked up uh, Roman's trainer for, for F2 this year, which is, is great to have Aussie yeah. and Aussie for, for that, which is fantastic. If, a, if this year is going to see most races, what is the track that you're most looking forward to from a photography point of view? Well, the new tracks are um, probably this week, next, this next race, similar. Yeah. Um, Excellent. I go there on Friday. What are we now? What day? Wednesday, maybe. Uh, And so I go there on Friday and uh, I'm there for a good number of days prior. So as soon as I get tested and get my negative result back, I can then go into and around the track. And obviously it's not set up yet, but that gives me an opportunity, if I wish, to spend a whole day scoping for shots, which I don't normally have that luxury. I normally arrive in on a Wednesday and then we start on a Thursday. So I'm looking forward to that. Portimao, never been there and I believe it's going to be a little bit sunnier than what it may be here, so that might be nice. And I've got some time prior to uh, that race to go and have a look at the track. Uh, I, I just really doubt that we'll be going to Canada. I can't believe that we can go to Canada unless the government says, yeah, you 1,200 people, you don't have to do quarantine. Mm-hmm. And I don't, know, I don't know whether they do that. And I really doubt whether Australia will do that either. I'd like I to think so because I have to come back for an insurance thing. I can't stay away a certain <laughs> number of days and that's the date they've given me to come back. So either way... I think I have to come back to Australia and hopefully not have to do the two weeks quarantine and fly straight out. But anyway, that'll resolve itself. So Imla, so talk us through what then a typical race weekend would look like. Obviously, it's a little bit different because you get to do a day ahead. But what what is the day or the weekend like for Kim? Well, this is nothing like a typical race weekend and neither was Bahrain because uh, typical would be Thursday, get their early shoot drivers arriving, go and edit, put them up, go and do track walks, hang around the paddock, get lots of interaction, uh, maybe shoot them leaving and then go home. 
but we can't go in the paddock. So we shoot drive arrivals and we go back and edit and then we've got this big hole. Uh, yes, we can shoot track walks, which I didn't do because it was very late on the Thursday night, but this, this time I will do the track walk and then I'll go back and edit and then I may hang around for end-of-day departures. Race day will be uh, drive arrivals, post them, um, go and do FP1, which is only an hour now instead of an hour and a half, mm-hmm. take an hour to edit and then you've got an hour and a half to maybe stand at the entry to the paddock shoot with a long lens and just see who walks backwards and forwards because that's really that's really the shots we get. And also we're probably only going to get the teams at either end of the paddock. Those teams in the middle, it's too too far a throw with a lens to get any decent shots. Then do FP2, edit, probably go home. But it's a lot easier because there's not that constant ability and pressure to go back out in the paddock and capture what's going mm-hmm. on because that's where you do get the good stuff. But I'm hopeful that at some point this year, things will open up and maybe it opens up first with an area that we're allowed to stand in near the media centre that we can't go anywhere near the drivers, but at least we're not shooting through glass, which we could do last race. But when you shoot through three millimetres of glass, they're never really great photos unless they're really close to you. And talk us through your setup. There is, you've done a, a video on your own YouTube, which again, you can find in below, but travelling very light. You've got two bags this year, as, as we saw in a previous video as well. Oh, look, try to keep up to date and do some research as best as I can. But it, you've obviously had to leave some stuff behind. And I think uh, last year you did an interview with uh, Tomo F1 and, and talking about some of the nice-to-have lenses that potentially you could take, which would be quite significant weight. You've obviously not able to do that this year because of well, you're out for basically 12 months or till November. What does, what does your bag look like of goods for this year? Straight away, I wish I could have brought two more lenses, 135mm fixed and 300mm, but there's nowhere to put them. Uh, I've got a 600mm over here. I've got two 1DX Mark III's. I've got an EOS R camera. I've got a 16-35. to 35. I've got a 70-200. to 200. Uh, and I've got a fixed 85 and a fixed 50, but I've got nothing between 200 and 600. But you just make that work. And then I've got a whole lot of other stuff for video. I've got... Uh, a gorilla pod, um, a couple of other. I've got a suction mount that goes on a car. And in fact, in fact, luckily today, or two days ago, I said to the guy whose apartment I'm staying in, he said, "Anything else you need?" I said, yeah, "I really need a tripod." But yeah, I've got one in the car. I said, "What?" And he went down and gave me his tripod. He's a real estate agent, so I'm using his tripod, oh, it's so right, good. which is fantastic. Because otherwise, uh, if you saw this setup I've got here, which is actually not using the tripod. It's pretty makeshift, and but you, know, you can't see it. No one else can see it. It's just a bit of a pain in the bum for me. But I'll give you an example. Uh, my son developed this tremendous app for me or this system for me to be able to input keywords into Lightroom. So when I take a photo, I need to say um, Lewis Hamilton, Great Britain, number 44, Mercedes. So I, I've got those that text in my computer, but... I don't want to have to manually type the first three letters to put it in. So he developed this system on my phone where it connects, and I press one button and it says to put a keyword in, but it's fluky. It might work 40% of the time and you'll spend 10 minutes trying to get it to work, and half the time <laughs> you get it to work and half the time you won't. So I need a hardwired thing. So I've managed to find something that I need, but it's a, it's a thing about this square and about that thick with 64 buttons, and I'm getting that sent to the next apartment and then I'm programming that, and that'll sit next to my computer, and it's a matter of just going one for Lewis, four for Lando, three for Daniel, and it's so simple, and that will save me hours, and that's 
what it's all about, getting good quality photos out to the masses quickly and have them well catalogued. Because when I do a video, like I'm doing one now for this backpack, when I did one the other day on drivers' cars that they drive into the track, well, that went crazy. I couldn't believe how popular that video has been for such an innocuous subject. But I needed to be able to quickly find Lando and um, all that sort of stuff. So that's where that value comes in, doing it once right quickly and having that information at your fingertips. Well, lucky that you're only wishing you brought two more lenses and not more. And yeah, as I said, whilst yes, I have watched quite a lot, you did pack very well. It's like you've got experience in travelling a lot, which of course you do. Yeah, I've got the same pair of, I've got two pairs of jeans and maybe seven T-shirts and a few other things. So at some point I'm going to have to toss half those T-shirts away and buy another seven to um, at least make me feel like I'm not wearing the same thing over and over again. Now, of course, people don't know that you have the same shirt on two days ago, but I guess it's a mental thing. It's quite funny. When uh, in one of your early Bahrain vlogs you said, you know, I've only got five T-shirts, send me T-shirts if yeah. uh, you I've want. I've got some and coming. I had all- I've got some coming Excellent. to the next race. Somebody's sending me That's some. That's great. There you go. Yeah. I had people who I had no idea liked Formula One contact me and say, hey, this guy, Kim Ullman's really, really great. You should send him one of your Oz F1 t-shirts, <laughs> which I laughed because I'd seen it when you'd sent your thing live. I thought you're going to start getting stacks and stacks of tees where you will be able to just chuck them after single use. Well, yeah, but I've got to work out how they get them to me because uh, typically if you deliver something to FedEx and you deliver it to a hotel, they don't like that. So You've got to find like an apartment owner who will take it at their place and then drop it over like that's what's going to happen tomorrow. Sorry about this drilling in the background. That's all right. It, uh, yeah, well, anyway, you'll have, I'm sure, a wonderful suite of T-shirts and I look forward, I'm sure you'll do a video or grab some content around what's what's arrived there. What, what were your thoughts on Bahrain? Because from your point of view, obviously don't get to see a lot of the race if you stick to a couple of corners, but... In terms of this is a brand new season, of course, and the liveries, what looks the best, what's easiest to shoot, and, and how, how was the race as a whole? I don't like the Aston Martin one bit. It's uh, in lousy light. It's black. Uh, if it's in bright sunshine, it's quite lovely and sparkly, but no, I don't like the thing at all, and I don't like the Mercedes shooting that either because that in the wrong light is just a black blob. Uh, I yep. really like the Alpha Tauri. Uh, I like always have liked the Ferrari. It's just such a lovely colour. And I think McLaren is one, one that I picked as my second or third favourite. But any, anything that you can look at from the front that looks the same as when you look at it from the back, I think is a good thing. But you look at that Williams. It's a blue car at the black back and it's a white car at the front. And yeah. it look, I have no designer and that they might love it and that might be the greatest thing. But to me, I don't like it photographically, but it doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> And what, what did you think of the, the Bahrain race after being away for such a long time from, from live action? Was it nice to be trackside again? Yeah, it was. Uh, what do I really think of it? I, I was at turn four, yeah, turn four on the outside, and the first time they came past, they were all decelerating because there'd been a prang before, so there was no real action. And the next time around, the safety car uh, had let them go, so there was they'd had time to separate. So I didn't get any great shots there. In fact, I, I got very little of anything importance in that race but I was lucky I had a guy in somewhere in Europe sending me notes via my iWatch thing on my wrist whatever that thing's called and I would get that quicker than what I would hear about it on the BBC 5 live coverage which is delayed by I'm guessing 40 seconds Um, and when something happens you want the quickest possible response so that you need to like if someone says uh, like in Perez's 
part of his engine cover came off. Now, if I got that message 10 seconds after it happened, I would look for that car and take a close-up shot when it came past. But chances are, if I have to wait 40 seconds, it's been past me, and then I go, oh, I didn't realise that. So it's yeah. very important, good intelligence. So, I mean, there's a bit of a fairy tale to being a Formula One photographer. I think it's it's a great-sounding job, and going and travelling and going trackside sounds exciting, but maybe it's not all that sort of fairy tale. Is there a moment that you can sort of think of where you thought, why the hell am I doing this? I can't believe I'm bothering. Yeah. A lot of times it's hot and dusty and very uncomfortable. Then you drop a lens and smash a camera lens or bugger up a camera and that, that sort of really hurts. Uh, yeah, I uh, it might have been a wet day at Canada. Canada, I think, a couple of years. Oh, I only went to Canada once, so it must have been 2017. If it wasn't that, it was at Monza anyway. And it was, I actually had a wet day at Monza, and my shoes were wringing wet, my socks were wet, and we get back into the media centre and all your clothes are wet, and I thought, what's, what's the joy in this? I don't get it. But, look, I've had a few days probably out of my many that I've done, three years plus this year, and you forget about those days pretty quickly when you have a great day. And a great day for me was German Grand Prix 2019 when I was at the right corner, the very last so corner. So good, yes. And everything yes. happened in front of me and I just couldn't get enough of that. Uh, <laughs> now, And it's a bit like fishing. You catch crap most of the time and then you catch a good one and you live for that good one. And I think this is what this is like. If it was very easy to get a shot of a driver in beautiful light or a car in beautiful light, well, then that would be normal. But... It's very hard to get that shot, and that's what you live for. It's a bit like golf. You're always hanging out for a hole in one, knowing that you're probably never going to get one, but you'll get closer <laughs> to it each time. It's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's great. It's, uh, I can only imagine that sometimes you must think, oh, I can't believe it. But your story of uh, Nico Hulkenberg uh, is something that pops to mind in terms of moments where you go, actually, this is worth it. And I think your relationship building in the paddock goes a long way to do that sort of stuff. Can you talk us through his final moments in Renault and, and what you were able to capture? Yeah, I, I'm not sure when I first spoke to Nico. Uh, actually, I know I can tell you. Um, it was end of 2018 at testing and uh, he and his trainer gave me this funny pose and I managed to get this great shot. And um, he obviously knew of me then. And, of course, I knew of him. And then the next year, I think we, we spoke a couple of times and then we spoke a little bit more and I got on very well with this social media manager who's a lovely guy. And, uh, and I got, of course, I got on very well with Martin, his trainer. And then one night I was in Russia and I saw that he was in Red Square and I was also in, in Moscow. And um, he put a post up and I sent him a note and said, oh, let's catch up for dinner. And he said, yeah, right. So I went for dinner with him and Martin. Uh, it was a great night. We had a good laugh. And... And thereafter, he would give me the best looks to the camera all the time. <laughs> and if there were 10 yeah. cameras, he'd often pick me. And, of course, your photos look so much better because he's looking at you and nobody knows why he's looking at you, but you've put in the work prior. Come the last race, um, they had this lovely um, parade of people all through the paddock wishing him goodbye, and, and that was lovely to see. And at the end of the race, I decided I wouldn't go out and shoot the podium as I often didn't because... There's 400 photographers out there and there's one behind the scenes and that's me. And you get yep. 15 photos, 15 different drivers at the back and you get three out the front. And uh, I knew he would it would be quite emotional, so I just hung around and waited for him and he gave his trainer a hug and his social manager a hug and his PR guy from the team a hug and 
couple of times he's doing this, he can see me. So he's giving me the thumbs up at the same time. And no one else is getting those photos. And then he went yeah. and found his girlfriend and gave her a hug because there was always very, very funny. He would never walk with her and they'd always play this game where he would just keep his distance from her, despite my incessant uh, requests for him not to do that. <laughs> but um, after the, the end of the race, I caught up with him and um, you know, thanked him and gave him a hug. And then I said, look, when you walk out, could you just wave over your shoulder? And so he went to do it and said, hang on, so I've got the wrong lens and he waited for me and uh, yeah, he walked out and gave me this lovely wave. And well, I look at that photo a lot and I look at the people in the background looking at him and I, there's this real lovely feel to this photo because these people are in awe of him and I'm seeing it from the backside and really focusing on just him waving, but I, I love the reaction of the people. Do you think that's your favourite emotional moment you've captured in the paddock? Uh be one of there's also some lovely photos of Lance Stroll laughing and absolutely jubilant after the German Grand Prix of 2019. Uh, I remember shooting Kvyat on the podium that day when he was uh, effusive with excitement, high fiving, yeah. glad handing all the celebs. Um, emotion I've never really got any. I uh, once again at that race the year prior with Seb, him crashing, I wasn't too far from where that happened, so I got his despair. And that was the moment he realised that he probably lost the title. Um, yeah, there's lots of moments, but they're rare. You, you want to get yeah. that excitement, but it doesn't happen in practice. It normally happens in quality or a race, and you've got to be lucky. And have the so, right lens and everything ready. That's the other thing. So sometimes you'll have the wrong lens on. You go, miss that. <laughs> and is there sort of a culture when you're walking into the editing room, whatever that looks like, uh, and you'll see other people get wonderful photos and you'll think how the hell did you get that and where was I and do they do this sort of say is there friendly banter in that respect or is it very cut sort of cutthroat uh, a lot of the photographers have the black shield on and put their face in and then no one else can see their pictures but I'm not quite so uh, worried wow. about that and quite frankly uh, you might see one picture as you walk past for a second it's not like you stand there looking at it for 10 seconds so yeah. Um, the, the, look, sometimes depends who you've got relationships with too. Blokes you've got relationships with, they'll show you a photo and they'll say, oh, this you get from here and I'll do the same thing. Hey, look at this. That's a pretty good pic. And oh, yeah, where's that? And so, Because I've already got the photo. I don't need it again. I've already got it. So I'm not about to say, well, I'm not telling you where I got it because they could work it out if they spend enough time. On the uh, podcast, we say that we're massively Daniel Ricciardo biased. Of course, being Aussies, that's probably not a, a massive surprise. Uh, mm. I believe you know Daniel's parents pretty well. Uh, how How's the relationship with him directly, though, for, for this year? I, I saw him the other day walking in and uh, I, said, I said a quick hello and he said, you know, the funny thing is uh, you've come from where we all want to be right now. That's Perth, <laughs> where there's no COVID. I thought, yeah, how stupid am I? But then again, um, I'm over here doing something that uh, I think is worthwhile. I think I have an opportunity this year with hardly any photographers there and no one doing what I'm doing to build something quite uh, remarkable and Mm. I don't have anything else to do and I have to reasonably stay in reasonable lockdown sort of thing. I can't be out um, night clubbing and that sort of stuff. I have a lot of time to do good quality videos and do stuff on Instagram that I wouldn't normally have time to do. And I'll give you an example. Normally 
and I'll find this shortly where I go from one race to the next and I'll have a Monday travel day, Tuesday off, Wednesday I'll go to the track. There's really only two and a half days for me to produce any content. Um, between this race and between the last race and this race, I've got 21 days, 20, 20 days or something. So that's a lot more content that I can produce in two and a half. And you're certainly coming out of last year where, again, not capturing any content, but you put a plan together and committed still to Instagram and to think of, okay, well, what's, what's something that I can do with the photography that I've already got? Did that help yeah. in, in wanting to do more, maybe not spontaneous things, but just different things that people can invest in? Because I think you're right in terms of the ability that you have this year, Kim, there is so much more that from a fan point of view, we can really invest in your journey. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, as you say, here's a photo of the track. It's This is Kim's journey following the Formula One race around the world that we just can't do. Well, a lot of people like the video I did um, traveling during COVID, Bahrain to Bologna, um, because you get to see the airport. You get to see what the lounges look like and what the planes look like and how many people are on it. And I would want, I have been fascinated to learn last year, what do airports look like? Is there anyone in there? And so now that I'm in there, I'm, I'm documenting everything because I think in 20 years' time you can look back at this and go, look at that. That's what it was like. Show your kids. Um, so from that side of things, I'm more than happy to share what I'm doing because I've got nothing else to do and I'm not terribly um, worried about what people get to see of me. It's, if they're interested, great. If they're not, they won't look at it. But, yeah, I'll, I'll do a video when I go to Imola, um, from checking out here, it's like it's a simple 40k drive. I don't know, maybe we stop and get petrol at some point. I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, and when I get there, I'll probably say, let's go for a quick walk around the track and we can go down there and look at the outside of the track. I go in until I get tested. Uh, you know, there's a level of interest that I have no doubt people are just clamoring to see because of the fact that no one's telling them about it. I, so, so many times last year uh, when I was looking at F1 stuff, I'm thinking, you know, I want to know what does it look like to get your COVID test? How, where do you go for that? How, how does it happen? So I've shared all of that. Yeah, your first COVID test was a, a bit of a laugh, to be honest, in terms of the, the pure shock on your face in Perth before you got on the plane. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and but that was pretty good. There was one the other day where the woman, oh, she was nasty. And then there was another girl who was so quick. But uh, I would have liked to have videoed me getting my COVID jab, but there was no photos allowed, no videos allowed. Um, but that that was a really pretty special moment to be travelling the world and not be covered and then have the government of Bahrain say, yes, you can have this. Uh, and then some people go crazy. Oh, you shouldn't have had it. You jumped the queue. But, oh, yeah, I'm... I'm in their country, and if I happen to tie up one of their hotel beds because of this virus, well, that's not going to look very good. And if they've got excess um, vaccines, um, it's almost rude to say no, I think. Oh, absolutely. You do you, Kim. I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's a ridiculous thing. It was offered to you, you took it, and it just means, you know, you get to be more confident going forward for the rest of this year because who knows, as you say, exactly what that looks like and which tracks you're able to go to. But looking ahead for this year then, obviously apart from a lot of time to do a lot of editing at the moment, there's a couple of quick fire races coming up in the next couple of weeks, which is great. What are you most looking forward to? I know we talked about new tracks, but what are you most looking forward to this year? Is there a moment, is there another track that's part of the normal calendar that you just can't wait to see? 
Uh, I'm glad we're not going to China, that's for sure, because that's the worst race on the calendar. Yeah, I quite yep. love Spa. Uh, no, look, there's nothing nothing that I'm clamouring to get to. I think every race holds its pros and cons. Um, I, what I am mindful of is I've got to have somewhere good to stay because I do not want to be in a place like the High City Sorrenti Hotel in Japan where I was three years ago and have to be going through this because... It was a room slightly larger than the bed and wow. reeked of cigarette smoke everywhere. Luckily, it wasn't too far from the track, but that was its only redeeming feature. <laughs> yes, cigarette smoke, uh, sweat and soy sauce is the, uh, the Japanese <laughs> smell yep. that's generally around. Uh, so this... This is a this is a great opportunity to ask as well. For we have a lot of people who like us. We're obviously very new to to doing podcasting, and this is our third year. This is your fourth year of doing F one photography. Do you have any advice to those who are listening who might want to get into motorsport photography in general or into F one outside of the COVID restrictions being a potential issue? It, what do you have any sort of tips? Okay, F1 this year, uh, so there are the only people allowed to go to races this year are permanent photographers. To be a permanent, you had to have done 14 races last year or the year before. So there's no way anyone new is going to a race this year. Next year, to get a berth, if they do open up race by race, which is the only way you can get in, you'd have to have a look at what the FIA want, and uh, that will, I imagine, change over time. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I I think it's very lucky that we've been allowed back this year. I would thought they might have said, no, look, we're just happy with two agencies and they can provide the world with pictures. Um, thankfully, that hasn't come to that, but it's not to say it might not come to that. Uh, who knows? I don't have any tips for anyone how to get into it. Obviously, you've got to be reasonably good at taking a photo of a car if you're specialising <laughs> yep. in that. And you can get down the freeway and practise that if you want. Just pan with cars and try different settings. Uh, right, look, I think it's probably what you know who you know here rather than what you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, Kim, what does the future hold for you? Is this a, a long-term career plan or is this I'm going to do this until I stop loving it anymore with my soggy no shoes? No idea. Monza? I have no idea. Uh, I'm going to do this year, hopefully, <laughs> and there's no guarantee I'll get all races because even with permanents, we're only accredited race by race because um, normally uh, a media centre would take, I don't know, 200 people. Well, this next one's taken 50. So clearly, I was lucky to get that. So I just got to keep my fingers crossed I get all of them. And if I get all of them and things are going well at the end of the year and it hasn't exhausted me, I might go next year. I don't know. And I, I won't call it one race in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's a good point. Well, Kim, you are doing wonderful things for fans all over the globe. Thank you for producing such great content and for just being so open. I think a lot of the time uh, and potentially – Maybe before Liberty Media, F1 seemed like a very much closed space and people were very reluctant yep. to let, as you say, you know, with the other photographers with the black screen up, not even letting other professional photographers see, see photos. So you're doing an amazing job. Thank you for being an Aussie in the Formula One paddock. It's, uh, it's really great to have spoken with you about that and uh, hopefully we get a, a chance to catch up and, and chat towards the end of the year and the end of the season uh, which will end with hopefully you in Abu Dhabi and not with you in Melbourne in quarantine for two weeks yeah. when the insurance runs out. Well, I will implore every one of these people watching this to go to my YouTube channel and subscribe 
and become a member because you get extra value things, including some videos that I don't show to anyone else. Uh, and I can be perhaps a little bit more open in some of those videos <laughs> as we get along this year because I know that only those people who have paid a few dollars a month can uh, access them. But, yeah, there's some great content coming out there. And as you said, it's stuff that you don't find anywhere else. And it never ceases to amaze me what people want and what comments I get from people. It's I understand on a very small scale what a driver or some celebrity must go through when they go through their inbox on Instagram because it's remarkable. <laughs> it's just crazy. But we've got such an international fan base as well, which which is great. And, you know, I think there's obviously a lot of people who listen to our show from around the world as well, maybe the Australian perspective and opinion is just a little different to, to what they're used to. Fingers crossed. Yeah, well, look, I, I'll admit openly, I, I tailor everything for Europe. I release stuff at European convenient times and sometimes it doesn't suit Australia, but you might have to wake up in the morning and watch a video that I posted the night before. Perhaps you don't see it first, but you never denied the opportunity of seeing it. No, that's that's very good point. And look, we're trying to extend the love of Formula One in this country. And uh, again, you being an Aussie in the paddock is just such a great way to to bring it home. So, Kim, thank you. And yep, you can find Kim at Kim Ilman on Instagram and on YouTube. Again, all of those links will be below. Kim, thanks so much for your time. I hopefully you have a wonderful time at Imola for your first time. And I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for your interest. Ciao.